Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me is Taylor Dammel and The Shark. We're brought to you by the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. Your College Hooper of the Week is Derek Ravio, former guard for the Gonzaga Bulldogs. He was a real pest. He was one of the more instrumental guys that really bridged the gap from Cinderella's story to, hey, these guys could actually make a run, obviously. Adam Morrison spearheaded that, but Ravio was a large component as well. Derek Ravio, College Hooper of the Week. We're brought to you by Royal Digital Marketing, a.k.a. RDM. RDM specializes in website development and digital marketing for small businesses and startups. So if you need a website, make sure to contact them at colin at royaldigital.co. That's C-O-L-I-N at royaldigital.co. And make sure to check out the website at theaterandcollegehoops.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is. And make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Damel and the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the curtains. Again, after the first weekend of the NCAA tournament, gentlemen, I posted in the blog a couple weeks ago, actually last Monday, I've lost all, all track of time. Last Monday, I said that 
Monday 321, which is when we're recording, would be one of the worst days of the year. It, it usually is like that. You're just you're coming down off of an incredible high of watching college basketball nonstop for the weekend. Like I said, I've lost track of time. And then you're just thrust back into the rat race. You're thrust back into work. It's miserable. It's brutal. Shark, I'm going to get to you. I'm sure we'll, we'll get your thoughts. Uh, you're, you've got a double whammy of a shitty Monday. Just leave me alone. I can't do that just yet. But just think I'm about not it. Here to, I'm, not, I'm not here to kick dirt on you because I know you're still down. Okay. Taylor, how's your Monday going? Um, great. I have uh, spread out about six tons of decorative rock in my backyard. Um, let me get to that in a second. How do you bring up Derek Rivio without saying the call? Isn't it, I mean, the, one of the best Gus Johnson calls of all time. Last chance to Rivio. Last chance to dance. Yeah. I mean, I'm not Gus Johnson, but I can't believe you didn't bring that up. I'll let that go, though. But um, I'm going to just go ahead and say this. I, I'm going to actually pat myself on the back here because we've talked a lot about um, what I've been doing to my house for the last couple of months. The fact that I was able to watch all but one of the games this weekend on my back patio was a, a monster, monster win in my book. So uh, I'm having a great Monday. Good. What do you think Gus John? What do you think Gus Johnson would do in a Tennessee game in March? Just he missed again. They did it. How can they keep missing? Wow, brick! Ha <laughs> ha! I don't know, Shark. I don't know. And I think what's even more absurd was the little baby hook. I mean, it's like Harlem Globetrotters out there at the end of the game just throwing up circus shots. And that's not even the most absurd one I've ever seen against me here. You, you got you got Ryan Klein ripping your heart out seven straight times against Tennessee two years ago. Clayton Custer. You remember? This is when it all started. Tennessee was a six seed. Um. <sighs> Loyola Chicago, that ball hit every inch of the rim. I still do not know how that went in. And it's, you know, here I am. You're talking about bad Mondays. You, you guys were just on a bender last night in probably the most exciting game of all time. You win it at the end. You should have been a foul call. We'll talk about that. But, I, I mean, like, you're in here telling me it's a bad Monday. You're forecasting what a bad Monday could look like. This is the worst Monday I've ever had in my life over here. And I'm sitting here looking at the rest of this week. You know, I got my I, I got my bat suit. Father, you're going to be there. I got my bachelor party coming up this week. We're going to the East Regional. We're going to Philly. We're going to Atlantic City. It's supposed to be everything that I enjoy in my life. Gambling, college basketball. You know, this is my moment. You literally can't spell March without my first name. This is what I'm about. And I'm just questioning my whole entire life decisions at this point. Why did I care so much? Why do I care so much about college basketball? You know, why? I should be into nature or poems or gardening i should have my bachelor party at walden pond or something like that get the boys out there we'll start foraging around picking up pine cones and swapping excerpts from henry, henry david thoreau poems or yeah you know even uh, yeah just you know we'll get to bed early wake up go on a hike feel refreshed you know josiah jordan james can't miss a shot at walden pond you know Hunter Dickinson won't turn into Tim Duncan at Walden Pond. So let's start with the Vols. Yeah. Yeah. 
Look, I'm with you. And you know what? That little runner from, I think it was Eli Brooks. Michigan had a point guard that used to do that. Small little fella. Uh, I think he was the previous point guard. I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now, but he did that little little half hook shot from the hip. It was very obnoxious, but Shark, yes, we got to start with your vols. You, you hit on a decent amount, but I feel like there's a lot more uh, to dig into further. Let me start with this. Give me your hierarchy on those that deserve blame the most for this game first, because, and then we'll get to the program because you, you asked me the first question or the first answer when I asked you that question was, Oh, you mean for this game or for this program, which means I know you're the callus is so deep. So let's start with the game. Give me your priority or your hierarchy of those that deserve the most blames. Vescovy. Um, I know it's not totally his fault. You know, Rick Barnes, you're allowed to draw up something called a play in a game, right? And the whole idea of the play is that you get create an opportunity for the player to make a play. So you can set a screen. That's known in basketball is where one guy places his body in front of the opponent. So a teammate could potentially get open. That didn't seem to run into anything that we were working with on Saturday night. Josiah Jordan James came out hot and then missed every single shot the rest of the game. And my, my issue with this, He's a great, he's an ambassador. He's a great leader for the program, but you can be a great leader for the program, but the guy carries himself like he's a 10 year NBA veteran after the game. He's someone asked Kennedy Chandler a question. Hey, Kennedy, you think about going pro and Josiah Jordan James, a junior in college, 21 years old said, with all due respect, he's not answering that question. But who are you? What have you ever done? Like, just let the kid answer the question. Maybe don't go over six and then think that you're like, uh, I don't know. Udonis Haslam stepping in for Tyler Hero on a question. I'm like, come on. Um, but uh, that didn't answer your question. I, I Well, we started with Vescovy. Yeah, Vescovy, he, you got to hit a, a shot for us. I mean, that's that's your role. And he, he did not. James missed some shots. Barnes, I mean, I'd put Barnes too. I want to defend him because every single year he keeps us competitive. You know, I'd much rather be Tennessee – you know, making the tournament every single year than Ben Howland or Mississippi State or Vanderbilt or anything like that. Because you could easily turn into those programs if you get rid of Rick Barnes. Um, and we're not that program. But at some point, you need to kind of – a switch needs to happen in these games where the guys aren't playing tight, bricking shots left and right. In all these games, we, we brick shots outside of the one against Purdue when that was just a heartbreaker. Um, so, I mean, last year when we played Oregon state, that was one of the worst offensive performances I've ever seen. And I, I, I that's why I'm not going to blame Barnes because he gets you there. And then at some point the players got to step up, but you're allowed to help out the players a little bit and give them some easier looks because every, you know, we'll, we'll play the other Michigan, their players produced. I mean, Brooks hit every single mid range jumper on a pick and roll that they needed in the second half. Diabite, five-star recruit, had a big game. And Hunter Dickinson, my God, he might be the greatest college basketball player I've ever seen. I'm sure he's going to go, you know, four for 18 on Thursday night against Villanova. Uh, But, yeah, there's your answer. All right. I I didn't want to interrupt, you know. I just wanted to let it flow there for a second. You know, I I fully thought that when Tennessee was up – four or six they're late uh you know at the under eight timeout that that they were just gonna plant down yeah and, and then yeah. michigan Never. goes on a 22 to 8 run 
to end the game. Um, the thing is, too, is Michigan turned the ball over 15 times during this game. Tennessee only turned it over seven times. Um, and especially in the first half, Michigan went on several and, and won midway through the second, went on several uh, you know, pretty long scoring droughts of several three, four, five minutes long. Um, at the at every one of those junctures, I thought, all right, Tennessee's going to roll here. You know, Michigan has been kind of up and down all year. They've been disconnected for the most part uh, up until maybe the last literally five games, uh, three games, uh, two games even. Um, so I, I at no point until literally probably, yeah, two minutes left did I think that, Michigan was going to win this game. And then, and yet here we are now, obviously I don't know, Thanks. Tennessee. Yeah. Thanks, no, I, yeah. I mean, what, what do you want me to say? You know, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's like, what, what do you say to someone at a funeral? You know, sorry for your loss, I guess, but um, I don't know. This is, I'm not trying to equate this to that. I understand. I understand but what you're saying. There is something yeah. to be said. I mean, you look forward to this stuff all year, you know, like, whoa, it's hope. You got the hope. You know, what's the point of life, really? Anything. It's look, looking forward to uh, the opportunity to create good memories, whether that's, you know, graduating from college or having a good memory about watching Omar Samhan beat Villanova in 2011. I mean, that's what life's about, trying to find these good memories. And all college basketball gives me terrible memories. With my teams. So, Shark, I want to ask you this. The outlook for you, okay, as it pertains to Tennessee, after this year, you've had multiple tweets Basically saying, if this isn't the year, then when? Okay, so we've we've experienced some talented, successful teams flame out early, not reach their potential and what you think they can, and that's that's the the cold heartedness of this goddamn tournament, right? That's what makes it so brutal. But moving forward, Shark, is your outlook more of I'm going to let them actually go to a Final Four? and prove me wrong or am I going to continue to say this is the year? Well, like I said in the beginning, the first question, even before we get into that one, and I'll assume for purposes of that question, I'm still into college basketball because I'm not lying about getting a cabin at Walden Pond at this point, because that just seems like a better life. You go around forage in the woods, pick out your own meal, uh, you know, cook it, go to bed, read, you know, just have, enjoy your life that way. So that's still a possibility for me. Like I said, this might be my last episode I ever do on this show. I'm wondering why I'm even here. However, in the event that I stay on board and I stay engaged, you actually are giving me some good advice because you need to stop building it up so much and hoping for that to happen. You should just be surprised if it does happen. So we could win every single game next year and we may match up with the greatest player to ever play in one game as a 16 seed and lose. And you just got to be ready for that because anything can happen with this team. So I, I, in terms of ceiling for us, I still think, I mean, Chandler should definitely go pro. So he's going to be gone. It's going to be Ziegler's team. You got to go get a grad transfer. Again, I'm saying this very motivated right now, but Walden Pond still a thing. Um, get a grad transfer. That's a guard that can, you got to have guards if you're going to win. Um, Vescovy and Zaya Jordan James are probably going to test the waters a little bit. I hope they come back. I mean, they're both very good defenders for their positions and they can be role players that are spot and shoot guys. I don't know. I can't predict how that's going to go. We don't really have a recruiting class right now. So I think that was kind of planning to be able to navigate the transfer market. Like it's a, you know, cryptocurrency 
whatever interface over there, and maybe we're going to do that. Uh, we may lose transfers as well. I mean, Justin Powell's probably going to be gone. Huntley Hatfield may be gone. All these guys may be gone. I don't know what's going to happen. But I think the general response to your question in the event that I stay involved in college basketball is don't build it up so much. Don't keep screaming into the abyss about how this is the year and just be surprised if it happens. So you had a great write-up on this on the uh, Theater and College Hoops blog, with which if, any, if nobody's gone and read them yet, but these two guys have been uh, having some great write-ups. I've been absent so far. Um, I feel like these guys definitely blow me out of the water with their writing ability. But anyway, um, I believe on your blog post about Tennessee basketball, you said you were going to be back on the message boards by Tuesday. Was that the timeline that you had laid out for us? And tell, give, let me know. I know you just kind of alluded to it, but have we hopped back on to any message boards since that blog post? Yeah, we're on. And I actually, I, I was on on Sunday. And <clears throat> I mean, that's where I'm getting this stuff about it. Vescovy and James testing the waters because you probably had your jaw drop when you said Vescovy might play in the NBA. Trust me, that happened to me too after those performances in March. I mean, my own. Um, it was like, yeah. but yes, I got that from the message board. So I'm, I'm back in there. You know, it's one of those things where it's like you're, um, I don't know. My mind's not sharp. I can't even think of anything to compare this to right now. I genuinely don't know if I've seen you this dejected in quite some time. The way I would boil down your relationship with your favorite sports teams is based on this response and the years that I've known you is like Ron Swanson and Tammy Swanson. Okay. So whatever, I mean, he loves her, he loves her, but it's just not healthy for him. It's toxic. Right. And when she comes back in one of the episodes, what, what does he do? He grabs the backpack from the ceiling, the emergency backpack and goes into the woods and hides grows a beard. Leslie Nope has to go track him down completely isolated. So this is actually a really nice window for a shark. Baseball's just getting started. Dog days of summer ahead of us. Okay. I don't want you to go MIA because like I said, like you had mentioned, you got your bachelor party. You're about to have your celebration for your wedding. But after that, that might be the time to really find yourself study up on some transcendentalism, I believe is what it was. Uh, and 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 hit the pond, skip some rocks a little bit to the hunt, like Ron Swanson said, to the hunt. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. <laughs> Which one will you take? Okay, do you? I I want to make sure because this is an open space. This is a place for you to really let it all out. I know you said you had twenty four hour window to be sad, but again, remember, we are your friends. We are here for you. This is like group therapy. Do you have anything else that you want to discuss a stone to overturn re the Vols? No, I, I mean, I, not at this time. I'd rather you guys be able to take the floor and, you know, to kind of just sit back and enjoy your happiness after that victory that Arizona had against TCU. So you guys should embrace it. Providence, my Providence buddies too. I mean, everybody's at the party dancing around and I'm the loser out there picking through the trash can. So the knife edge that is a college basketball fan, right? You got the shark here on one hand. And then Taylor and I, we were we were ever so close to being in the exact same pile, the same trash can as the shark, dumpster diving. Arizona barely beats 
a scrappy, inspired, spirited TCU Horn Frogs team. And for my money, it was the best game of the tournament. The highs, the lows, the plays, the quote-unquote controversy, which, yes, we will get into, the players themselves. Now, obviously, this is going to be a lot of talk about Arizona, but I think, Taylor, if we're being fair, we have to tip our cap to big boy grilling on the roof, Eddie Lampkin. That guy had a tremendous game. Credit to, you mentioned some of the PC guys, Shark. I want to credit uh, the Providence Crier because, number one, he said, Michigan's going to do some stupid shit if they get into the tournament, like go to the Sweet 16. Here we are. He also texted me, I think, maybe half joking, 25% joking before the Arizona TCU game. He said, what are you going to do with Eddie Lampkin? I said, look, man, we got all the height in the world. We're the tallest team in college basketball. We got Pac-12 player of the year, Christian Coloco. We got Umar Balo to match beef with beef. We're fine on Eddie Lampkin. We were not fine, Taylor. Eddie Lampkin had a career night. He was incredible. He cleaned up everything on the glass, and he was the locomotive that we did not see coming. And a major reason why that game went to overtime and why it was so close. I just want to give a hat tip to Eddie Lampkin. Yeah, no, I, I came away feeling the same exact way. I was more impressed with TCU than, you know, outside of my elation for the game turning out how it did. Um, really, I came away with, with you know, more than – you know, more than anything else, just impressed with TCU. I impressed with Jamie Dixon, the job that he's done there at TCU. Um, I had heard, I guess, or maybe read on some of our message boards, speaking of message boards, about how nobody in the know wanted to face TCU. And I'm like, why? They're a team that went under 500 in the Big 12 this year. Yeah, their best big averages six and six. Like what? Is, what are they going to do with Ballo and Coloco? You know, and, and as as good as Lampkin played, um, you know, he didn't really have an answer defensively for Coloco. You know, that's that's for sure. But I mean, offensively, I never would have, I would never in my a million years would have thought in a second round game against a number nine team or a number nine seeded team whose best big average six and six that Arizona was going to give up twenty offensive boards. Uh, that's nuts. You, there's no chance you win a game in at any point during the year, let alone in March Madness, if you if you give up 20 offensive boards. So yeah, no, I echo your same exact thoughts. I was more impressed with TCU um, as a team than I was with Arizona. Now there are a couple individuals on Arizona that you have to be impressed with more than anything else. But as a team, I mean, you, you could not have asked, if you were a TCU fan, you could not have asked TCU to play a better game than they did yesterday incredible run and what they've done their, their schedule has really built them up for this game i think they played kansas three times in a 10-day span something absurd like that they were in the big 12 which is obviously a terrific conference and it has been showing out here in the ncaa tournament of course baylor one of the one seeds did end up losing but to your point about the individual players and how fantastic eddie lampkin really was somehow some way he was still not the best big on the floor he was the second best big Somehow, I, I wouldn't have said that he was going to outplay Tubelis, who was terrible, by the way, and got sat for the entire second half. I didn't think he would outplay Umar Balo, but he did. The one man he did not outplay was Christian Coloco. And there's no shame in that because Christian Coloco is genuinely putting up historical numbers in the tournament. Shit we have never seen before. Yeah, I mean, when you got a guy, I mean, we've... I feel like maybe Shark will disagree with this statement, but I feel like we've kind of tempered 
our excitement on this program about Arizona throughout the year because we don't we talk enough about Arizona given that there's two Arizona guys that host this podcast, right? I, I, I don't know if we've talked a ton about them in comparison to how like we we would like to let's put it that way um but coloco's like the most improved player in the country he's an athletic freak his length is unreal his efficiency is unreal he's a 75 percent free throw shooter um there's really nothing that this guy can't do well except for get a defensive rebound against uh against Lampkin. Actually, you know who Lampkin reminds me of? Do you ever do you guys remember uh Georgia running back Craig Lumpkin by chance? Former Green I Bay Packer. Not. He played with like No Sean Moreno and stuff like that at uh Georgia. Anyway, that's that's how I that's how I Craig K R E G G Lumpkin. Um anyway, yeah, uh Coloco is just and let's even go even further on this. And and, and of course I'm sure Shark's gonna want to hop in here, but and somehow Coloco still wasn't even the most impressive player in the game, despite despite the fact that he had twenty eight and like thirteen on twelve of thirteen shooting. Yeah, I I, I want to get the shark in on this because he texted our group chat because he was finishing up the Purdue Texas game. Obviously, when your team's playing, you have to watch that first and foremost. So I was watching Arizona TCU. Shark comes over. He says, "Okay, I'm on." I think that very same play was the Benedict Matherin detonation and that was the best player in the game shark it was and i think if there's a takeaway from the first weekend the two most exciting explosive and frankly talented players in college basketball were Jaden ivy and benedict Matherin. and you know you can look at the dunk everyone loved the dunk but him hitting that three when you're down three with less than what was, it was less than 15 i think to go he hit it with 12 seconds with 12 seconds you guys are about to be upset in the second round if that doesn't go. No one else on your team is scoring whatsoever. I mean, you guys love Coloco's great, but I mean, they're they're all pretty much you know uncontested dunks that he's getting there in offensive rebounds. I mean, I, that's a great role to have in college basketball, but it's not like he's creating his own opportunities to score. Um, I mean, even you look at Teresa who missed those three threes in the corner. Matherin still finds a way to get the end one in that moment. I mean, Matherin is an absolute star. Uh, I do want to push back a little bit on, you know, TCU, they, they were hanging with you, but it's not like their guys were really stepping up. Mike Miles was five for 20. They shot like less than 20% from, or around 20% from three. Um, we haven't talked about the play at half court yet. I'm sure you guys are going to have your opinions based off the freeze frames and all that, but something had to be called in that moment at the very end of the game. Uh, granted, you guys could have had a layup or whatever it would have been, but it, it kind of sucked the energy out of TCU's um, chance to win it. And Miles and O'Bannon as well. I mean, O'Bannon was hitting huge shots for that team, but they, they really didn't get much out of Mike Miles, who's an outstanding player uh, for for them. Granted, you guys didn't get anything out of Creesa, but that was probably Creesa's fault because he was really trying to force it. So, and I just want to talk about that dunk one more time, and then I'm sure that's when we'll get into the potential controversy here. But this is a point of the kind of leading up to the controversial end there is Benedict Matherin 125% got fouled on the dunk when he abused Lampkin. Like Lampkin hit him right in the head, right? With his elbow. Well, with the elbow part of his arm, not in elbow, but you, you understand what I'm saying. He a million percent got fouled. And I think the refs were just all – everyone was in, was in shock, I think, that I, I, I think people just missed that. The a world good, exploded, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was nuts. Um, and 
a, a point that will be missed because people don't like to talk about, they only like to focus on one play and that's the thing that decided the game. Nothing else is that was clearly Lampkin's fourth foul. And Lampkin is who took over down the stretch when Miles was out with, in, with his foul trouble that kept TCU in this game. So, um, you know, leading up to the controversy, the, the reason that TCU was in the game is because that they were so much more physical than Arizona is, right? So I guess whether you think the play at the end of the game was a foul or not or whatever, A, there was a clearly missed foul call on that dunk that would have been that Lampkin would have been taken out of the game for at least a stretch there, um, which in theory would have affected. I the don't game. think they would have done that though, because they miles came back in with four fouls with like 10 minutes. To go. Sure. I mean, okay. Sure. What the, the point I'm getting at is it yeah. would have changed at least something about it. Right. But then secondarily is that don't play, don't, you know, the whole thing that they wanted to do that TC wanted to do was, was be physical, 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 physical. And then don't at the end of the game, get bumped and then say, well, I, that's got to be a foul when the whole game was played like that, that physical the entire time. Well, and I was looking at that play. Okay. I genuinely thought that was a flop. Like, and, and I'm sure people will be like, no, you're, you're looking at it with red and blue glasses on that looked way more like a flop than, than anything Dale and Terry did. Um, I also, if, if you want to argue something needed to be called, call a backcourt violation then as well. I don't think that TCU this this notion that TCU got robbed or jobbed it, it's it's fallen on deaf ears with me. Number one, because I do think he flopped, but number two, they shot five more free throws than Arizona. Yeah, you keep does that, that not matter? Five, Why does that not matter? Five free throws? They shot I mean, more, is what I'm saying. That's all that no, matters. I don't know. I I think if it was like the Purdue Texas game where Purdue shot literally like almost 30 more free throws. I mean, that's a big time number. Okay. Five. So why are we not focusing on that? Then? Because <laughs> it's the last, it's the last play of the game. There's what about, clearly something that happens. The whistle doesn't get blown. It creates an advantage for Arizona and your guys too stupid to realize you've got to lay it in with the, within the amount of time that's left. Well, I mean, that point is mute. I mean, the whole Dale and Terry thing is, is moot, but like, I mean, we can go back to other pivotal moments of the game, like the Matherin dunk that Taylor had referenced, which would have resulted in one more potential point at the line. Okay. We can also go back to the Eddie Lampkin dunk where he's shaking like a stripper after dunking it in the first half. Now Fair. look at the end of the day, I don't like those technicals. I don't like those calls. Okay. But you can't, you can't pick and choose. Right. So if we lost, well, you can, I, see, I disagree. I think you can on the final play of the game. I, I think something had to be called and I can see your guys side of it as well, but there shouldn't be a collision in the middle of the court with four seconds left, creating a free for all about what's going to happen. Well, Games I don't end that way. Well, I think, but I think that's the whole problem with the argument here, right? Yeah, the it, ref was out of position. Well, both refs were yeah. out of position. And yeah. I, I think it's an even better than 50% likelihood that the, that it should have been a backcourt violation before the contact even occurred. Because there's, if you go look at, Here's the other problem that let me complain about this broadcast real quick. We got no fucking replays of any fucking foul call the entire fucking game, which was ridiculous. Um, but if you go look at the nine other video views that we didn't see, I mean, there's at worst it's simultaneous when he steps on the line. And the fact that all of this aside, whether there should have been a call or not, he took like three, two, three dribbles into the backcourt yeah, before I, he fell over and nobody called anything. This is like JV high school level, level like that has uh, to, you know, a foul call. Jamie Dixon had a timeout too. They had one timeout. I don't know well, what the hell he was doing. And, and so that's what I'm thinking here is I don't want to hear an excuse about how your point guard trapped himself 
in a corner 45 feet from the basket and started running horizontal or perpendicular to the basket with four seconds left. And then are expecting a foul call to get you bailed out. Like if that, if the contact occurred at the rim or on a drive and they didn't call it, then I'd be like, Oh shit, that's a terrible call. But you can't, don't give me whine to me about how, Oh my God, at the center fucking circle with four seconds left, a guy running towards the sideline, not even running towards the basket, may or may not have gotten bumped, and somehow he fell well, I, I three think feet fairness, into the backcourt. In fairness to them, their argument is he was finding his way out of that trap, and he wasn't getting trapped. He was moving away from the corner, and he had an angle, and that angle was prevented by by the the block. And you know, we're never going to know. Well, I mean, and the and the center court line that he ran over to get to where he needed to get in the first place. Right. So I, I, I don't personally subscribe to the, well, you shouldn't have gotten in that situation or you shouldn't gotten, have gotten. Yeah, I, like, I, I, well, I'm but the thing is people are saying that though, people are saying that. And I think that's stupid. If it's a foul, it's a foul. So my argument is I'm 10 toes deep in what I think is it's not a foul. I thought that was a flop on Mike miles. Okay. I, I, that I'm looking at this and it's just not a natural body motion of someone who, like he's clearly trying to sell it. That's what I was looking at. And I'm glad they didn't call that. All right. Now, again, I could go back to a bunch of threes for Mike miles uh, where Justin Kyer apparently got called for them. Those are f- like six given points. I think one of them was legitimately a dumbass play from Justin Kyer. The first one, but the next two, and we didn't get a, we didn't get replays on those also. Well, one, so, one was Matherin, I believe. That's one might have been Matherin. I and don't he- know. He was a foot away from yeah. him. He wasn't so, even close. So the point is, is like I, 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 I kind of understand the whole. Oh, it's the last play of the game. But at the end of the day, my whole position is that it wasn't even a foul. I thought it was a flop. So, and then also Seth Davis. Just real quick, Seth Davis tweeted out today: "You can dribble the ball in the backcourt while your two feet are in the front in the front court." There's a clear rule that says you cannot do that. But I'm not. There's no point in Zap Ruder filming this. Like it's over. Well, and well, here's what I don't understand about any of, if I was a neutral observer, not Arizona, let me just say I, I was like an integrity of college basketball or integrity of basketball guy. Like a, a backcourt violation isn't a judgment call. Like a foul is a judgment call. The A backcourt violation is not a judgment call. He either was or was not. And he clearly was with no foul being called, especially that's absurd. And for Seth Davis, who's a fucking idiot anyway, like for him to be, trying to manipulate what is a clear basketball rule that fucking Naismith put in. You know, I don't know when it was actually put in, but this isn't like a, we know what a backcourt violation is. This isn't like an, a, there's no opinion to be had on the backcourt violation part of it. it if, you, if there was no foul called on the bump, there's only one thing that can happen there. And that's a, a backcourt violation. And you can tell the, 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 I think the shot clock or the clock keepers stopped the clock for a second there. Am I wrong? Yeah, they, I think they thought it was going to be a foul call, um, or something, because the he some, yeah, or yeah, something, right, right, right. right. I, if I were to assume, they would think it was a foul call because college refs love calling everything. But look, at the end of the day, this is probably going to be forgotten by Sweet Sixteen uh, weekend come Thursday. But what a basketball game! Best one of the tournament. The three stars that stood out to me: Matherin, uh, Coloco, and and Lampkin. They were just absolutely terrific. So one more thing, just because. Shark brought it up, and it really was probably the actual play of the game. Matherin's three uh, with 12 seconds left there is probably a – if Arizona goes on to the final four, you know, whatever the ceiling is for this this team ends up being, I mean, that shot's probably a top five 
shot in the history of Arizona 10. Oh, in Arizona, Arizona. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I thought yeah, you were yeah. talking like all time. Let's no, no, no. In, in Ari- no, in Arizona history. Yeah, I mean, sure. I, I, I know that it's hard to look at that in reverse and when, you know, but it, if the difference goes from like a final four to losing this TCU, just, yeah, just build the guy statue at that point. Cause it, it, it would be that big of a difference. Yeah. A few other nuggets I want to touch on before we move on to the other storylines of the weekend. Number one, Azulis Tabellas. I highlighted him just a little bit, dude, this guy is maddening for Arizona fans to watch. He's so uber talented when he wants to play, but he got stripped about four times uh, in, in that TCU game. Not tough. He got the ball wide open layup, dunk the basketball, man. You're going up against guys like Lampkin, big 12 beasts. This is not the soft pack 12 anymore. Okay. He went up very weak. Tommy Lloyd sat him for the entire second half. Arizona needs him to be good. They need him to be an all pack 12 player, which he was this season. He was not that uh, on, on Sunday night. Kirk Creesa shark. You referenced it three threes in the corner. I like everyone was so jacked up and fired up on the Matherin and one. I, cu- I couldn't get excited about it. All I was thinking about was the preposterous decision-making from Kirk Creesa. Three straight threes when it is clearly not your night. You're up one with about a minute and a half left. Taylor, I know you had mentioned, oh, they kept kicking it out to him. Well, because they were he was open. And two, probably because they thought he was just going to bring it up and kill some clock. No, he kept jacking it up. I was so, so mad at that. And then last but not least, Dalen Terry. Arizona let up a 12-0 run. They could not score for shit. I think it was 70-67 to 67 TCU. Dalen Terry hit a monster three in the corner. Uh, that cannot go overlooked. So those are a few of the other items that we w- wanted to make sure we hit on. I will laugh at the fact that, and this is not necessarily defending him, but it was kind of funnier that, funny that the shots kept actually getting better, like the looks kept getting better than the first. And that's The looks I might have, kind of, but like, yeah. I mean, dude, because no, I, know, I, know, I know he did a step back. Listen, I know. I know. I just you can only get better from that. I know. I just thought it was funny that the first one sucked, and then the second one was like, ah, that's actually not a bad shot. And the third one, you're like, wow, he's pretty much open. I need you. I need you to reset your mind. It's only funny. It's a real laugh riot, a knee slapper because we won that game. I would have pinpointed that possession and been like, God damn it, Kerr, because he's so high and so low. That was it. Was extremely exciting victory. One that I would be so pumped up today if I were you. Uh, but at the same time, it did expose a little bit about your team and you're about to go on and face. I don't know if we're going to preview this. I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about it on Wednesday, but your initial reactions playing a Houston team that just seems like a bully on the block right now. Um, I, You know, I, I think we've said this all year. I haven't really been able to figure out Houston. I don't think anybody's really been able to figure out Houston considering that the, the, I think we all could agree that they were really underseated as a five, um, considering that every metric absolutely loves them. Now, 24 hours ago, I'd have told you that I wasn't that worried about Houston because they don't have any size either. But we just played a team that didn't have any size, and they got 20 offensive rebounds. Um, so I still think Arizona's size, at least on the offensive end, should prevail. Uh, we just need to at least we have four days now where Tommy Lloyd can just run every, I think Wally Zerbiak said it on the, on the bracket breakdown at like two in the morning last night that they're going to run every, uh, every box out, every block out, you know, every rebounding drill that you can possibly have. And that's, they won't even run anything else for the next four days, which is kind of a joke, but really, you know, when you survive a game like this, I think it only gives you motivation to uh, to understand what you're not doing well, and then um, you know improve on that. If it was a Tuesday to to Saturday or a, a Thursday to fr- uh, 
Saturday, it'd be tough. But now that you have a full week to prepare, I think that'll be big. Yeah, a few takeaways for this game. Number one, Arizona needs to stop turning the basketball over. They had way too many turnovers against Wright State, and that's why it was an eight-point game uh, sometime in the second half before they eventually pulled away because no disrespect to Clint Sargent. They just didn't have the talent to keep up with Arizona. Teams like TCU, certainly a team like Houston, we saw it with TCU. They had less turnovers than the Wright State game, but they still had way too many. At some point in the first half, they had seven, and you saw what the score was at half. You saw what the score was towards the end of the game. They need to be much stronger with the basketball. I mentioned Tabellis, but others, when they're just dribbling, these little dribble handoffs, okay, post-entry passes, they're soft, they're weak, there's zero pepper on the ball. They don't value the basketball enough. If you give a team like Houston one or two more possessions than, than they should have, you're going to lose that game because they take advantage of it. And slowly but surely, you're now playing real basketball teams. Okay, real basketball schools, real basketball pedigree, a great coach in Kelvin Sampson. All right, so they got to take care of the basketball. Stop with the fucking turnovers. Uh, the second thing, in my opinion, is uh, they need to be they, they need to finish halves. Okay, they didn't do that against Wright State. They didn't do that against uh, TCU. They haven't done that for majority of the year. There's a lot of knife edge moments in a game where you're at five. You're at like a five-point lead. Can you push this to 10 by half, or will it be a single possession game? It usually ends up a single possession game, and you give that team life. So they need to be able to finish those halves. And we saw TCU go on a 12-0 run when the game was seemingly over. Nope. Arizona had to rally. That's not going to happen against Houston. Uh, so I think those are the two biggest things. But what I will say is working in Arizona fa- Arizona's favor, if, that's, if this is even a thing, it might be a poison mine. But they have not played close to their best basketball, in my opinion. They have, And I think the best basketball that we've seen them play, if I were to cite a specific game, was in the Galen Center against USC, where they thrashed a pretty good uh, uh, Southern California team that was on a hot streak. That was the perfect, most perfect game I've seen Arizona play. If they play to that level... I don't think a team outside of maybe Duke or Nova can hang within six or seven uh, with the Wildcats. Okay. So those are the three big takeaways I would have. Going to be looking at Houston playing them in San Antonio. I know that San Antonio is not too far from Tucson as well, but something to think about. That game's going to be a war on Thursday. It absolutely is. And look, the home court advantage didn't, I mean, I, I suppose you could say the home court advantage worked to our favor, but it was still a very close game. I don't know if I necessarily buy into it. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. It's got to be a lot of fun. But yes, let's go on now to some of the other big storylines. St. Peter's, the Peacocks. Shark, we're going to be seeing uh, Shaheen Holloway's boys in Philadelphia. I'm very excited for this. Just give me your general thoughts on the Peacocks. I thought the win over Kentucky was the uh, – we were arguing about this. I thought it was the biggest upset of all time. I'm, I'm considering even the UMBC over UVA one. U, UVA did not have DeAndre Hunter in that game when that was played, and we're talking about Kentucky the premier college basketball program in all of sports uh, that a lot of people were picking to win the national title this year that have seasoned players that have been around for a while that have one of the best players in the country as a big man. And the biggest guy on St. Peter's is six foot seven. So like when you factor all that stuff in, um, I know they're tough. I know they're all, all of this, but still that was such a shocking upset. I was not impressed with Murray state in their game against San Francisco. I felt like they got lucky to win that. So I wasn't shocked to see St. Peter's win, win um, against them. But when, when they play Purdue, I, I think they are in for a tall task. I mean, Edie's going to look like Billy Madison against those kids that he's playing in, in elementary school playing basketball just because of how small St. Peter's is. Now you're all in big, big trouble. But 
Hey, Eater, love that guy. Great mustache. You never know. But uh, I think this is the end. Edie versus Eater. That's going to be fun. Taylor, what are your thoughts on the Peacocks? Yeah, you know, as a guy who uh, has Purdue to the Final Four and had Kentucky already out in the first weekend, uh, by the first weekend, I am pretty happy with where St. Peter's is uh, standing right now. But yeah, I mean, this is just, I I honestly can't say a lot about the team because it's literally just a lightning in the bottle type of situation. Um, It's not like we can sit here, any three of us could sit here and say, oh yeah, well, I remember watching St. Pete's two months ago and I knew they were going to be trouble come the tournament. Like, no, nobody's going to say that. So I don't want to even make up any story about like knowing anything about them other than the just joy that is watching a team like that and i think shark was totally spot on i I was very much into saint pete's beating that murray state team i mean i think when you get that first one out of the way um you're riding with all the momentum what is there to lose at this point you might as well just get out there and let her fly and that's kind of that's not exactly what they did, but they they put together a good game in beating Murray State, and what a what an awesome situation for them to not have to play. And this is no disrespect to Murray State, but to not have to play a, another Power Five school the second the second time around is such a God. I don't want to say it's good luck because I don't like, but it's just good fortune. It's a good draw once you get past that. Um, and yeah, our our boy Dougie. How do you not love this our, our boy Dougie there? I mean, you you have to. So I mean, uh, this is one of those situations too where like I, I kind of hate, and I I think we'll all agree with this, but you, you guys can push back on this. Like like I said, I have Purdue to the to the final four, right? In no way, shape, or form am I going to be rooting for Purdue against St. Pete's, right? You can't. Yeah, right. I mean, why? Yeah, I, and I hate those people. It's like. Oh, well, no, in my bracket, I have this guy. Well, fuck that. Like, we've never seen a 15 seed make a run. Like, you know, let's let's make it this year. You know, yeah. this, it's about joy. You, everyone's already out of their bracket tournament anyway. There's probably four dudes left in the bracket tournament that uh, that have a chance to win it at this point. You know, right? So so who cares? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to this St. Peter's team to continue making a run. I'm, I'm hoping. And to your point, Taylor, you're right. Uh, you could You could say, like, yeah, they got – they, they, they were going to play a mid-major team regardless in San Francisco or Murray State. But in order to do that, they had to be the top five team, essentially, right? In Kentucky, three hours north of Lexington. So I would say yeah. that they did deserve that. And I, I, I will say it's tough. You look at a team like Illinois the past two years, who are their second-round opponents? Loyola, Chicago, and Houston. Meanwhile, these guys get to play Murray State. But, hey, them's the breaks. They're just a blast to watch. And, and I'm glad you brought up the Murray State game because they didn't trail at all in that second second round win. I think that is a little bit more than just catching lightning in a bottle. I mean, this is an OVC champion. This is a team that was coming in on a huge hot streak. They were ranked in the top 25, and they thoroughly took them to the cleaners. So Shaheen Holloway and St. Peter's, what a remarkable story. They are the darlings of the tournament. They're the Topanga from Boy Meets World. They're Joey from Dawson's Creek. We have our darling who we are all rooting for and keep an eye out for Shaheen Holloway to Seton Hall. That is now a vacant position with Kevin Willard having gone to Maryland. Uh, Next up, what a game this was. I think you could argue the three best games were uh, St. Pete, Kentucky, Arizona, TCU, and then Carolina Baylor shark thoughts on that incredible instant classic. One of the rare occasions where, as you're watching it, you said if this game was just two minutes longer, Baylor would absolutely crush him, and it got to be five minutes longer, and North Carolina just responded. I mean, the Manic thing was ridiculous. Baylor's comeback was incredible. 
but I give North Carolina a ton of credit for being able to withstand that and stay hot right now. So Baylor, I think everyone kind of knew that it wasn't fully there with them this year. I mean, Flagler's a good player. Akinjo it, it is good, but he can't shoot well enough. And then, you know, just the, the injuries in the front court were enough to really impact them. Uh, but th- they'll certainly be back with just the, the kind of culture they have there. Um, one more point about the Shaheen Holloway there and the Seton Hall job. I mean, they're, the two campuses are 12 miles a- apart from each other. So that would be, you know. Yeah, Willard, Willard basically begged for him to get the job in his po- press right, after yeah, the yeah. game, which was, like, ridiculous. What are you doing, Willard? Like, you're not <laughs> – what are you, Josiah Jordan James giving out advice, unsolicited advice over here? You're gone. You just quit on this team. Let them pick their coach. Sorry. So in no way, shape, or form did I think that, like you just said, that North Carolina was going to win in overtime. This was, if Arizona's game was the best game of the tournament, this was, Baylor UNC was the craziest game of the tournament. I mean, I I know I texted Subi and I said, wow, this is going to be a blowout. And then I think Subi responded to me with uh, Baylor's fucked or dead or something like that, you know, and I, and I kind of, I, I don't want to say I turned it off, but I was kind of like doing other shit and I had it on uh, as I was flipping through channels. And then I, uh, and I kind of looked back and I missed, I actually missed uh, the manic um, uh, ejection. Ejection. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, right. 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 Which was ridiculous. And so, but even so I was like, yeah, Luckily, they're up 25. No big deal. I don't have any idea how UNC was able to turn it around mentally uh, in overtime. Talk about bad officiating. That game was one of the worst officiated games. That 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 12 minute stretch from about or 10 minute stretch from about when Manic got tossed, starting with Manic getting tossed all the way through. I mean, Baylor literally could have brought the football team out there, uh, offensive line and, and all, and just and just run everybody over the whole time and they wouldn't have gotten called for anything. Uh, so I thought that was a little ridiculous speaking of that officiating there, but um, yeah, Baylor's going to be fine going forward. Just like shark said, I mean, it's a disappointing loss. Always. You never want to be in, in that position. Um, I was, I guess a couple, a week or two off with my thoughts on North Carolina. I thought this was going to be them in the uh, ACC tournament when they lost to Virginia tech. I was like, Oh, maybe not. Like maybe they weren't, Actually, they just got up for the Duke game, and that was it. But uh, this game that they're going to have against UCLA, I, I know we don't want to get too much into it now, but if Jaime Hawkins isn't playing, UNC's got a real shot at that game. Yeah, and UNC has size. UCLA's bigs are not very good. Cody Riley had a good tournament last year. He's not contributing that much this year. I don't think he's that uh, as impactful as some of the other guys like Jules Bernard, Hawkins, and, and Juzang. But – uh, to this Carolina Baylor game, some of my takeaways, just this is why you don't tweet out Sharpie like Seth Davis always does. Okay. Wait till the triple zeros. This is one of my tips for enjoying March madness. That's why you don't do it. It's so weird, right? So the shark said, if you gave Carolina two more minutes, or if you gave Baylor two more minutes, five more minutes, we all thought they were going to run away with it. I thought at one point though, Carolina almost made the decision like, okay, we're, we're wilting so bad right now. We are under so much duress. We cannot make the right choice. Let's actually try and just hold on for a tie here in regulation and regroup for overtime. I feel like they said there's no chance we're actually going to pull this off in regulation. Let's just do it in overtime. I don't know. That, again, my poison mind. But this was this was a clear-cut example of a team completely choking, getting outside of them, their sel- themselves, excuse me, in Carolina, but also championship medal from Baylor. 
you you never underestimate the heart of a champion. It's so overplayed. It's trite, whatever, but it's the truth. And that's what Baylor showed. They showed that, you know, they didn't want to go home. One of one of the guys on my all dog team, Matthew Meyer, I used to hate this guy just because he was a mullet shooting, uh, you know, nobody a couple of years ago, rolled his ankle, gutted it out. He was terrific. I love Matthew Meyer. So credit to the bears for fighting, but yeah, I think what was more most impressive was Carolina picking themselves up off the mat. Hat tip to the shark. He said Carolina was a dangerous team. He's been saying the ACC's good. They're having a great tournament, highlighted, of course, uh, by Duke in Carolina. But let's not forget about Miami. But uh, that was a great game. Epic game between Baylor and Carolina. Shark, I know you had some thoughts on this particular Big Ten team. And the conference has not been performing very well at all. Wisconsin losing to Iowa State in Milwaukee? Yeah, well, at least they still have Michigan, a top five team that somehow we get in the second round that knocks us out. Preseason top five team, but whatever. Um, Wisconsin, you know, I felt bad about the Tennessee loss. I would, that's so much worse right there if you're Wisconsin. Iowa State is truly terrible, a terrible team, even as they're playing in these games when they beat LSU. LSU was also awful, but you get as close to a home game as you can possibly envision. In, the, in this turn where you're playing at the Bucks arena in your Wisconsin. A lot of people are saying it's actually a better home court advantage to play at the Bucks arena. If you're Wisconsin, than it would be if you're playing in Madison and you go out and score what 39 points, whatever the hell they had. I, I mean, that is truly terrible. So I feel like I'm in a support group with um, Wisconsin fans and Illinois fans where it's just loser programs that can't really break over, but are consistently like, anywhere from a four to a six seed every single year. And you're just going to keep getting your heart broken over and over again. I'm not impressed with Iowa state whatsoever. I'm really not even that impressed with Miami as well. That game is going to suck. Yeah. Um, talk about offensive ineptitude. And even in Wisconsin's first game, it's not like they played any better. They only scored 67 points in their first game. I mean, they pretty much scored three points for in like a 10 minute stretch, uh, give or take maybe five points. Um, I will say this. So a lot of Iowa State hate here, and I understand, you know, but to have turned around the, this program that had two wins last year and now has two wins in the NCAA tournament this year, like, yeah, I get I get it. Like, they played teams that were, well, I mean, LSU was obviously in turmoil. It's not like Wisconsin was in turmoil or anything like that, though. So, I mean, it's, they haven't had, they have arguably the national player of the year which I don't understand how you can be on a team that is so offensively bad and then have a guy that is arguably the best player in the country. But that's a whole nother discussion. But, I mean, Otzelberger's done an incredible job to win, what are they at, to 23, 22 total wins for the year now? That's, I mean, I know I know that they're not good. I, I understand. I'd love to be playing them right now if I was if I was a fan, right? But for them to have turned it around to a sweet 16, it's there's not one single person in the entire country that would tell you, oh, yeah, Iowa State's definitely going to the sweet 16 a year after winning two games. So I'm going to give them a little credit because, I mean, you have to you, you still have to beat teams to make the tournament. You still have to beat teams to get to the sweet 16, whether they're the St. Peter's of the world or whatever. I mean, they still did win. They still have won 20 plus games this year, and that's impressive considering the fact they only won two last year. It's not every day Arizona wins in spectacular fashion and Wisconsin loses in spectacular fashion. So I really savored that. I'm also going to say sayonara, adios, au revoir, whatever you want to say to Brad Davison. Get the hell out of here, man. 
I'm so done with your antics on a basketball court. The announcer was talking about like hyping this up. This is what she said. She's like, just an incredible competitor. Brad Davison has drawn nine fouls. I wanted to be like, how many of those were like attacking the hoop? Or are you talking about him coming off screens, him, I don't know, drawing charges, any of that nonsense. Okay. He's not a basketball player. Point blank period. Wisconsin fans, it's, it's, they, they feel a type of way about him. Good for you. I'm done with the Brad Davison nonsense. Go overseas or join the rat race just like us. But see you later, Brad Davison. Um, but yeah, Iowa State moving on. And they play Miami. Shark, how the hell are either the Cyclones or Hurricanes, which by the way, natural disaster uh, matchup right there. That's how you remember it. Cyclones, Hurricanes, one of those guys is going to be in the Elite Eight. Where am I? Lucky cruise, lucky cruise for them to have. Uh, your point on Davison, Jordan Bohannon, another guy that's going out into the abyss. Just two. You look at those two guys; they could be like finance bros in New York City, and just look at it and be like, "I cannot stand these two assholes right now." Uh, Davison and uh, and uh, Bohannon. But anyways, to Miami, I attribute that to Auburn just completely collapsed. I mean, that, they had no life whatsoever. I mean, what Jabari Smith, I mean, everyone says that the guards take too many shots and try to take Jabari Smith out of the game. I think Jabari Smith doesn't insert himself into the game enough. I think he's kind of soft. And, you know, I saw this nugget. I sent this tweet out, even though I don't care about college basketball anymore, about Bruce Pearl. Everyone wants to bang up on Rick Barnes. All right. Everyone wants to do it. And Rick Barnes isn't a flashy guy screaming in the cameras, fun, happy, go lucky. Bruce Pearl in his last nine appearances has only made out made it out of the first weekend once out of nine. So Barnes is once out of 10. And in 18 seasons, Bruce Pearl has only made the final four once. And Rick Barnes obviously has won and a lot more than that. Uh, but just something to consider. It's not easy to do. You really only see these main elite coaches getting back there over and over again. So um, Pearl isn't as uh, elite as you think he is when you actually look at the numbers and you see a lackluster performance like that against Miami. And that gives you an answer as to why. So someone will have to fact check me on this. Uh, I think, I mean, the real key here is Miami's only had like seven turnovers, I think, in combined in the first two games. I know they only had four uh, against Auburn. It is uh, quite poetic, let's call it, that the Cyclones and Hurricanes are meeting in the Windy City uh, this week. Uh, Subramanian's home, well, not hometown, but we'll call it hometown now here for these purposes. Home base. Yeah, there you go. Um, Jim Laranaga, obviously, is... Uh, been around forever, probably one of the, you know, few most underrated coaches in the country where your average fan doesn't know who this guy is. Uh, and I'm not saying that he's a world beater by any means, but, um, you know, he he produces more than, you know, we talk about Bruce Pearl, big name, only been past the opening weekend one time uh, in his last 10 tries. So, you know, it, like you said, it, it takes a lot to get here for, for Larinaga to continue to do this is uh, is amazing really um and to take a school that isn't really known for basketball at all uh back to the sweet 16 again is is quite impressive um i think miami wins this one pretty easily um since we're talking about it uh I, iowa state's run has to stop and if if miami continues to only turn the ball over three and four times a game they could beat pretty much just anyone on that alone, as long as they're making at least a few shots. Um, so that's what, that's my big takeaway about Miami is their ball security has been elite. Let's call it so far. Yeah. Three six year seniors starting for the hurricanes. It's going to be a tight game. In my opinion, I, I know you said the, the Canes are going to win this, but I think this game is going to be tighter than TJ Otzelberger's shirt. All right. Just two other quick 
games that I want to highlight. We're not going to go into them. San Francisco, Murray state. That was an awesome first round matchup shot making everywhere. Murray state player cramping up like crazy back and forth. AJ Bouye. What a crew. What a, what a game from, from that San Francisco Don. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Chattanooga, Illinois, man, Illinois needs to get some shooting. They can't just give it to Kofi and hope he out bigs everyone. Uh, that was a, a rock fight there with Chattanooga and Illinois Chattanooga sort of faded down the stretch fell just short had a great look to win it could not do it but illinois i think like i had mentioned they had uh they had loyal chicago and houston tough second round draws you're not going to beat anyone though if you can't shoot so brad underwood go do that let's get out of here now next couple like last 10 minutes or so we got to talk about these two programs let's start with providence shark they continue to cram it up america's asshole i know they killed richmond um I, I wasn't watching the game that was running at the same time as uh, the Tennessee one. So, I mean, what you got to give them credit. The fans traveled out there. They, they played the, the board that was given to them and they, they, they won. So, I mean, it's been a magical year for that fan base. And I, frankly, Ed Cooley kind of deserves it. He's been grinding it out there for a long time. This team is good. Every time I look up, Corkler's hitting another timely three for them. You know, Al Durham always gets them started in the beginning of the game. And then, Nate Watson, who, you know, his numbers may not totally reflect it, and he was a great offensive scorer more so last year, but he does command double teams pretty much every single time he touches it. So he he's a guy that you have to uh, pay attention to. This is a great opportunity for them. They've been talking about no respect all year. Well, you're about to get Kansas. If you win this one, then I'm going to remove myself from the group chat with all these Providence guys I have in my life. Yeah, I mean, I got to give a lot of credit to Providence. Obviously, I've been here on the hate train along with everybody else. Um, and that that Richmond game was over five minutes into the game. Um, I honestly didn't even watch past about the 10-minute mark uh, because the, clearly they were going to run away with it. Um, they shot 55% or 52% from the floor, 55% from three, um, only turned the ball over 10 times out rebounded. There was, there was nothing that they didn't dominate about that game. So um, I was actually more surprised. Uh, you know, South Dakota state was my, my team that I picked as my upset pick uh, to go into the sweet 16 this year. Um, that was a decent game. South Dakota state did not shoot the ball like they usually do. Um, but that sometimes that's just what happens to the smaller schools when they play a real big opponent in the NCAA tournament. Uh, so, you know, nothing, but, uh, I guess nothing, but congratulations to Providence, uh, moving forward here. I do want to make one little note about the previous game that we weren't going to discuss. And that is Illinois hasn't been to the sweet 16 since 2005. Talk about a program that you think is better than it is. I'm just throwing that out there, but back to Providence, they have, yeah, I mean, I guess this is what you want if you're a Providence fan. All year long, just like Shark said, all year long you've been talking to everybody about how Ken Palm doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. Shark Palm doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. All this stuff. Well, here's your time to shine. Number one, Kansas. Let's see it. I'm just happy for PC fans. They're a great fan base. They're obviously hyenas, which we know about. Ed Cooley's an all-time good guy. Everyone in the college basketball world will say that. He deserved Big East Coach of the Year. He definitely deserves some votes for National Coach of the Year. And he's in the Sweet 16, something that Providence hasn't done in quite some time, okay? So I'm happy for them. They took care of business in their first two games. They, I, I, I know a lot of people are like, oh, why is Noah Horkler and all these other PC guys basically saying, um, you know, we shocked the world or we, we 
nobody believed in us. Well, majority of people didn't believe in them against South Dakota state. So despite the rankings, despite the line, whatever it was, not a lot of people did believe in them. They got it done. They might've had a favorable draw in Richmond, but I probably would have taken them over Iowa going into that game, no matter who they played. So hug for PC. Uh, it's going to be a very tall task though, to take down the Jayhawks. We'll see if they're up to it. They've been up to it all year. Last but not least Duke. Okay. Shark. We got to just talk about Duke. Paolo Bancaro was phenomenal. Jeremy Roach, phenomenal down the stretch against Michigan State. Any thoughts on the Blue Devils? I thought it was an impressive win. I actually thought they were going to lose when they were down, you know, what, I think it was five. No, it wasn't five. But they went on that huge run at the end of the game where they essentially just did not miss a shot. I mean, Roach was great. Boncaro was great. Smooth game. Um, Griffin was not playing. He rolled his ankles. So they did this um, without him. And Keels stepped up. Michigan State played as great as they possibly could. I think they were Gabe Brown was raining threes. Uh, that big dude that was stepping out and knocking down threes. I mean, it was as tight as you could get it for Michigan state and Duke just has elite talent. So uh, we'll see how that matches up with Texas tech on Thursday night. That'll be another great game as well. You know, just like Sue, we brought up in the Arizona game uh, with Dallin Terry hitting a big three uh, kind of late to kind of kickstart. Uh, Arizona to get back into it. Same thing happened with Trevor Keels with about three minutes left with Duke down three. Uh, Keels not exactly known as a shooter by any means, um, but he stepped up, hit a big three to tie it. Uh, and then from there, uh, just as Shark alluded to, uh, Duke kind of took off from there, took over, let's call it. Uh, they traded buckets for a possession or two more, and then, uh, then Roach hits that big three late um, to really push them over the top. I I've been saying this all year and I know that it's just going to annoy the shit out of me until hopefully this game, but there's still is something that I think is missing from this Duke team. It's like, maybe it's depth or I'm, you know, I I'm not really sure. I, I still can't put my finger on it. And I still think the same after these two games, um, obviously they're more talented as a whole than the two teams they've played. Um, but what a matchup that might be my favorite matchup. We're looking forward to this next week. Um, just with the best defensive team in college basketball against arguably the most talented starting five in college basketball. That's going to be a hell of a matchup, Texas Tech and Duke. Yeah, Duke, and they play in big games. They're used to it. That's why you go to Duke to play in around a 32 Sweet 16 game against a Texas Tech or a Michigan State. They got punched in the mouth. The Shark referenced it. They were down. They responded. We saw how well they responded, especially with their two best players in Roach and Bancaro. That guy has such an unlimited toolbox. It's crazy. He can finesse, get to the elbow, hit a three, or he can just overpower you down low. I really love watching Paolo Bancaro play. For my money, probably the number one overall pick over Chet Holmgren, who actually kind of struggled a bit against Memphis. But Paolo Bancaro and Duke, like I said last episode, everyone is just so enamored with making fun of Coach K that we kind of lost track of the fact that Duke's a really good team, a deep team that has shown that they can beat good competition throughout the entire season. So very much looking forward to that Duke-Texas Tech game. We're going to get out of here, though. All right. I'm going to be with the Shark on Thursday. That's next time you'll hear us in your uh, speakers. If you are a Peacocks fan, if you are a Tar Heels fan, if you are a Bruins fan, and if you are a Boilermaker fan, feel free to tweet me any questions that you may have because I'm going to be conducting some sidewalk interviews down in Philly. Boots on the ground, Shark. Very much excited for it. We'll catch you next time here on Theater and College Hoops. (laughs) 